on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. Psalm 23 is probably the best-known psalm out of the 150. The opening line is very familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, it's spelled with capital letters in most English translations, to show that this is the name of Yahweh in the Hebrew, or Jehovah, as in some older English translations. In the Spanish language, it's this, Psalm 23, verse 1, Jehová es mi pastor. Mi pastor, literally, my shepherd. So it is that human pastors, pastores, likewise are shepherds. They are shepherds of sheep. In this episode, we're going to talk about that. But let's start with this important point, that God himself is the ultimate pastor, the best pastor. He was the shepherd of the ancient people of Israel, and he's our shepherd today. Now, the human writer of Psalm 23 is David, the same David who went on to become king of Israel. Back when David was a teenager, his father, Jesse, put him in charge of his flocks of sheep. And as David was taking care of his sheep, at some point he was struck by this comparison. As I am to my sheep, so God is to me. I shepherd my sheep, but the Lord God, Yahweh, he shepherds me. Interestingly, in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself, quote, the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says this about his shepherding. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yes, sometimes literally a human shepherd would have to defend his sheep from wild animals. And that shepherd would literally get between that wild animal and his flock, risking his very life for his sheep. As our good shepherd, Jesus not only risked his life for us, He actually gave up his life. Jesus died on that cross for us, for our sins, to pay for the guilt of our sin. He sacrificed himself for us, making atonement for our sins. Now, Jesus' ministry as our shepherd can be seen in various ways. For example, ordinary sheep are are known to wander, to wander off, to, to stray from the flock. So is the good shepherd, Jesus, sees us straying. And then he searches for us like a human shepherd would as we wander off. And then Jesus brings us back. He restores us. That's accomplished not only when we're first saved, our initial conversion, but all through our lives, our Christian lives. Jesus is regularly bringing bringing us back to himself, returning us to that place of safety whether it's after we sin or after times of our faith being weak or just becoming distracted like mindless sheep wandering away. Jesus restores our souls. The Apostle Peter writes this in his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. You, he's referring to believers, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You've returned to Jesus, Peter is saying. You've returned to the shepherd of your souls. Indeed, Jesus is our pastor, our pastor, our shepherd. 
So in a real sense, you see, Jesus is the model or the pattern for human pastors today. Of course, Jesus was uniquely the the greatest shepherd. We pastors cannot be Jesus. But we as pastors serve under Jesus. Myself and other pastors, we, we then would seek to model Jesus' kind of ministry. We would be then shepherds for the people of our churches. The Apostle Peter writes this, particularly to church leaders, which of course include pastors. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, quote, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Overseers are meant to oversee, that is, to watch over to watch over the church, the people of the church, the the local congregation of believers. Pastors who also serve as elders in churches must watch over the flock. Now perhaps Peter is highlighting this aspect of being a pastor because he, Peter, had that very important conversation with Jesus. Remember that conversation after Jesus rose from the dead? How just a few days before that, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. In fact, he denied Jesus three times because he was afraid. So now the risen Jesus comes to Peter and asks him three times also, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you really love me? Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says he does, Jesus says, Then, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Notice, the sheep belong to Jesus. They're not Peter's sheep. It's my, my, these are my sheep, says Jesus, but pastors like Peter and pastors who follow must feed Jesus' sheep. How is that? Well, believers are fed, as the Bible would say, fed especially by God's Word, the truths of God's Word, the living realities of God's Word, the things that impact our thinking and our speaking and our, our living So as pastors preach and teach the word, they are feeding believers spiritually. That's the primary task of of pastors, the preaching and teaching ministry of the word. Later in the New Testament, we find Paul, the missionary, doing just that. Paul went out preaching the basic uh, gospel message for people to come to faith in Jesus as their Savior. And after people were converted to Jesus... Paul continued to teach them the word. He makes this point very clearly in Acts chapter 20. He's returning from his third missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem, and on his way back, he stops along the coast of what is today Turkey. Previously, Paul had planted several churches in that region. But in one place, in the city of Ephesus, Paul not only planted a church, but he stayed on as pastor-shepherd of that church for three years. Paul served as their shepherd, their pastor. So in Acts 20, Paul is reuniting with these church leaders from that congregation where he had served as as pastor. And it's a very warm and emotional meeting. There's lots of tears and warm embraces. Here's part of what Paul says to these church leaders. Quote, You, he's referring to you in the plural, all of the elders and pastors there, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything 
except that which would be helpful to you. And I have taught you publicly from house to house. Oh, I have taught you publicly and from house to house. Two kinds of teaching, public teaching and more private, personal teaching from house to house. So here again, Paul is emphasizing the most important task of a pastor, to preach the word of God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to teach that word, preaching and teaching it. And essentially those two words in the New Testament essentially are referring to the same thing. Paul says, I've preached to you when I was your pastor, preaching that which would help you, and I taught you both in public settings and also in those more private settings within your very homes. He goes on to say this, again, speaking to the elders and we assume the pastors. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. You see, there's that same imagery of pastors and elders serving as shepherds in the church, taking care of Christ's sheep. One reason for preaching and teaching the word is that believers then will be built up in that word, built up in their faith in Jesus Christ, their love for the Lord and their love for others, and, and to live uh, as, they, as they show gratitude to Jesus for saving them, living in a God-fearing, God-glorifying, Jesus-exalting kind of way. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 puts it this way. Why should pastors be preaching the word? Ephesians 4 says that Jesus gave some believers who would go on to become pastors and teachers in order, quote, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. That's the ultimate goal, the reason for preaching, to be built up in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God, and become spiritually mature. Then Paul goes on to say, We, believers, will no longer be infants, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So, to preach and teach God's word, that's the primary duty for pastors, and it should be their greatest joy. I can speak of that being such a joy when I was serving as a full-time pastor. What a joy each Sunday to bring the word of God in, in sermons and through the week to be studying and praying over that sermon and thinking how to apply it directly to the, to the sheep, to the members of my church. And, you know, also to teach during the week. Pastors do that also. Preaching on Sundays usually, but then teaching in adult classes or in youth classes, even sometimes uh, teaching the children. In all of the churches where I served, the three of them, I was especially given the class of, of the high schoolers teaching basic Christian doctrines to teenagers. I really enjoyed that because at that stage in their life, teens are asking uh, the right questions. They're no longer just echoing the thoughts and opinions and beliefs of their parents, but now they're accepting those truths for themselves, or sometimes they're pushing back against those truths, and that's all right. It's a way of really sorting through what are they going to believe as, as young people? Will Jesus be their Savior? Do they sense their need for him? 
And what a joy to watch them embrace not only these truths, but then those truths, biblical truths, impacting their lives, so eager then to be living for Jesus. It was indeed a a real joy to be teaching them. Well, in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul also speaks of visiting the members of the church in their homes. Acts 20, verse 20, Paul says he went house to house, from family to family, and there he would give teaching also. You know, when we're at home, we're usually more comfortable than when we're in other places. So when the pastor would come to visit us in our homes, he'll find us generally more comfortable, more ourselves, much more so than when we're coming to the church building, when we're sitting and participating in worship. And also, when he comes to visit in our homes, we, the people he's visiting, will probably be more willing to share about our lives, about the ordinary things we're doing, about various situations we're facing in life. And then the good pastor, the good shepherd, can bring God's word to apply to those situations, the daily situations of our lives, of the workplace, of our schooling, of our careers, of family life, of marriage. And he can also be praying for us there in the homes, more personally and privately. It's a wonderful opportunity when pastors have to visit members in their homes. You know, I found it very interesting for people who were raised in other types of churches and they came to join our church that most of them never ever had a pastor visit them in their homes. So they were sort of surprised when I called to set up a visit. And when I arrived on the given day and time, they were maybe a bit nervous. They didn't know what this was all about. But I assured them this was just to give encouragement, to be helpful to them, and to get to know them, and and for them to get to know me as their pastor. It seems like we really usually enjoyed our time together. It was a joy for me as a pastor to get to know these folks more personally. You know, Jesus says a shepherd calls his sheep by name. And that's not only what their name is, but their personality, their character. And pastors get to know sheep by name when they go to the home and and get to learn what the father and mother may be doing for their work, working outside the home, working inside the home. He gets to know the children and their various interests so that then he can minister more effectively, even in his preaching on Sundays. It was really an encouragement to me. The vast majority of members showing genuine fruit of loving Jesus and living for Jesus, their lives being filled with joy and peace and and service to others. What was a bit surprising to me, and fairly discouraging, were those folks who seemed to be mostly negative and critical even at times upset or angry. And it seemed to generally not be just one thing, but about several things. And sometimes it would be about something I, as a pastor, had said in a sermon or or had done in, in one of my actions. And yes, I had my own share of faults and failures, even sins. And wherever possible, I would admit that, confess that, apologize for that, ask for their forgiveness. Yet others, it just seemed in general, they just wanted to vent their negativity and their critical spirit. How sad is that? And even worse, some of those who were the most negative and critical would spread that negativity within the flock, almost infecting other sheep with that negative and critical spirit. But for the most part, for the most part, in the homes of those who are attending our church, 
I found a solid marriages, husbands and wives loving each other in the Lord. Not perfect marriages, no, but solid marriages. Husbands and wives built together on a strong biblical foundation. And I observed children of these Christian parents being raised in an atmosphere of grace and love and kindness. Teenagers who were increasingly displaying a personal trust in Jesus. Church members living out in the world, being diligent in the workplace, working hard, being a good example to others, and willing to serve their, their neighbors and their, the people on their street. It really was a joy to be their shepherd pastor, to be the under-shepherd of Jesus in those churches. In Acts 20, Paul reflects about being the pastor of that church in Ephesus for those three years. And he says this, and I want to focus here a moment. He says, I served the Lord with great humility. That's verse 19 of Acts 20. I served the Lord with great humility. So as pastor, Paul was serving the Lord, the Lord Jesus, as he was also serving the church, that flock of sheep. And he was serving humbly. Humility, of course, is the opposite of pride and arrogance and and conceit. Pride is, well, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, being self-absorbed, self-focused. And, you know, pride is one of those risks for any pastor-shepherd. Why? Because, well, pastors are leaders, and leaders carry a certain amount of spiritual authority and power. And sometimes that authority and power can be wrongly used by a pastor. Think even of of ordinary human shepherds. They, of course, were leading the sheep. They were in a position of, of power and authority over those animals. They would walk ahead of the sheep in that ancient way, and the sheep would follow behind the, the shepherd in a single roll, a single row, stepping, uh, walking behind that shepherd as he would lead them. That's power, isn't it? Power over the sheep. And so it is in a church. Pastor, shepherds set the direction in which the, the church will go and sort of setting the pace, uh, deciding when the sheep would, would walk and when they will lay down and, and rest a while, finding the right pastures for food and quiet waters for drinking. All pastor shepherds have that kind of power, power of leadership, power of setting direction. So it is that almost every word a pastor speaks, every action they perform, what pastors do and what they choose not to do, all of it carries power. Or it's a very powerful influence upon the life of the sheep, the people of the church. One expert words it this way, quote, Power is inherent in human being, in being human. For pastors, you might have power in your home, over your spouse or children. You might have power in every conversation you have because your words have an impact on the people listening. And if you're not aware of the power you exercise, you aren't as likely to examine how you're using it. That last line, if you're not aware of the power you exercise, you aren't as likely to examine how you are using it. He goes on to say this, again about pastors, quote, So you, as a pastor sometimes, you can end up feeding off people, using them to meet your needs or to make up for your vulnerabilities. Maybe that looks like going to the grocery store and being hideously rude to the cashier. Or maybe it looks like schmoozing with everyone in the church, knowing that that will feed your ego because they all think you're so wonderful. Wow, those words hit home. Every pastor can abuse his spiritual power 
or misuse it in some degree. And of course, elders and church leaders can do that too. They also can misuse their power to some degree. That's why I think the Apostle Paul emphasizes his humility. As he served the Lord, as pastor shepherd of that church in Ephesus, by God's grace he sought to be humble. How can pastors be humble? Well, that's a that's an episode in itself. But I think here's at least some areas in which pastors should strive to be especially humble. Let me just list three of them. First, in pastors' preaching and teaching. For example, the pastor should make it clear that when he's preaching about sin or about temptations, he's not only talking about the people of the church, he's also talking about himself. That he, as their pastor, is equally prone to temptation and sin. Another area is pastors should show humility in how they propose ideas and make decisions. The pastor should never decree things to be done. Kings do that. They make decrees. Tyrants also. But the pastor-shepherd should be openly and humbly discussing ideas and plans, particularly with the elders of the church and also with the membership. The pastor must genuinely and humbly listen to others' thoughts and opinions. And a third area would be that of counseling. In my opinion, way too many pastors today think they can give counsel and advice on almost any situation in life. Some pastors give the impression that because they know the Bible, they know all things. Well, no, they don't. Pastors are experts on Bible knowledge and theology and certain biblical principles of living. But what does a pastor know about, say, certain mental health issues, about clinical depression or or eating disorders or substance abuse? Yes, he'll know certain principles, but pastors are simply not trained in deeper psychological and mental health issues. So let's keep those words of Paul in mind. Pastors and members and leaders in church, he says, When I was your pastor for those three years, I served the Lord and I served you and I did it with humility. I wish we had more pastors who would say that and say it regularly. And not just saying they were humble in their ministry, but that they truly were humble. That they displayed meekness and gentleness and kindness. All of us as pastors and church leaders and as church people just have to be more like Jesus. We have to be more shepherd-like, like the humble and meek and gentle Jesus. The best shepherd there ever was. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Uh, uh, uh.